0: Our passage for today from God's Word is Luke chapter 19 and verses 28 to 44. And we're just going to read that together. Luke chapter 19, and we're starting to read at verse 28. This is the Word of God. And when he said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. Then he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks in the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in earth and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, You and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Amen, and we trust that the Lord will bless the public reading of His holy word.
1: Now, would you turn to the passage that David read to us in Luke chapter 19? Luke chapter 19, beginning to read at verse uh, 28 and going right through to verse 44. On the 2nd of June 1953 in Westminster Abbey the present queen was crowned queen. She is the longest ever reigning monarch in the British Isles and if uh, her reign goes on another year she will be the second longest reigning monarch in the world and if she uh, lives and reigns for another three years She will be the longest ever reigning monarch in the world. So on the morning of the 2nd of June, there was lots of pomp and pageantry. She traveled in the golden Irish state coach, which was pulled by eight gray geldings. Her dress was made of white satin and was embroidered with gold threads and was encrusted with pearls and with crystals. Her robe was 5.5 meters long of hand-woven silk. So so heavy was it that the Archbishop of Canterbury had to help her to get her started as she went up uh, the aisle. After being anointed, she was presented with a set of golden spurs, a little jewel-encrusted sword, two golden bracelets, uh, a golden ring, and a glove. One glove, I'm not sure why that is. Then after taking her vows and being presented with the Bible, the crown was Placed upon her head. The crown was made for Edward's coronation in 1661 and was made of solid gold and weighed almost a kilogram. As soon as the crown touched her head, a fanfare was played and a 21-gun salute was sounded from the Tower of London. It was uh, estimated that three million people lined the streets of London to see the new queen, 27 million watched on television, the largest ever television audience to that point in history. It was a great uh, state occasion, the coronation of Queen Elizabeth II. How different was the coronation of King Jesus. He comes not in a gold uh, coach pulled with horses but riding on a donkey, with the disciples cloaks as a makeshift saddle. There's no finery or pageantry, no fanfares, no military uh, salutes, but ordinary people waving palm branches in their hands. And the only crown that awaits him in Jerusalem was the crown of thorns that would be pushed upon his uh, head in uh, humiliation. And the only thing his hands received were the nails that secured him uh, to the cross. And yet, the story of the entry of Jesus into Jerusalem is the nearest thing we have in Scripture uh, as uh, for a coronation Now, in our study this morning, I want you to notice three things uh, about this coronation, this uh, celebration of King Jesus. Notice, first of all, the preparation our Lord makes in verses 28 to 34. As Jesus travelled to Jerusalem, he would have first come to Bethany, which was about two miles from the city, and then he would have passed through the village of Bethphage, which uh, was a small hamlet. Uh, on, uh, from Bethany on the way down the Mount of Olives into Jerusalem. And it seems Jesus sent two of his disciples into that village to secure the use of a donkey. And we're not told if Jesus had prearranged with the owners that uh, he should take this donkey or whether through supernatural omniscience he knew that the donkey Uh, would be there, but it seems that the, uh, the owners of the donkey were followers of Jesus because when the disciples said, the Lord has need of it, they raised no objection. Now, why did the Lord have need of this donkey? Well, Jesus was about to do something that he never did before. He was about to permit something that throughout his ministry he had resisted and warned others not to do for him he was about to allow a public demonstration in his honor. In the past, uh, he said, my hour or the time has not come. When he healed anyone, he warned them not to tell anyone, and he uh, avoided taking the title Messiah the Old Testament, Christ in the New Testament, the New Testament equivalent of Messiah in the Old Testament. He avoided that title and preferred the title Son of Man. And at times when his popularity was rising, he would withdraw uh, to solitary, to lonely places. But here we find Jesus. He not only allows this public demonstration and acclamation, but he makes preparations for it, the day, the hour, the mode of transport are all carefully selected by the Lord. It is he who organizes the donkey and sends the disciples to get it. J.C. Ryle says the whole history, this whole history is starkly unlike the tenor of his own life. Up until this point, he avoided publicity. He resisted the title of king. Now, why at this juncture does Jesus not only allow this public demonstration, but actually seems to encourage it, in fact, arranges it? Let me give you three reasons. First of all, do fulfill prophecy. Like so many incidents in the life of our Lord, this public demonstration was a very specific fulfillment of Old Testament uh, prophecy. 500 years before Zechariah had looked forward to the coming of the Messiah, and he prophesied in Zechariah 9 and verse 9 Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, shout, daughter of Jerusalem, see your king comes to you righteous and having salvation gently and riding on a donkey, a, a colt, the fold of a donkey. And in this incident, that prophecy was fulfilled exactly and completely. The king comes riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, and Jesus made arrangements to secure the use of this donkey so that Old Testament prophecy might be fulfilled. If Jesus had walked into Jerusalem, if he had a rode a horse into Jerusalem, if he had come on a camel into Jerusalem, this prophecy would have lain unfulfilled. And his identity and the, uh, the accuracy of the Old Testament would have left, been left in doubt. So why did Jesus make these uh, preparations to fulfill prophecy? Secondly, to reveal his identity. Jesus was the Messiah. He was David Greater Son. He was the Christ. He was the anointed one. He was the one that was promised on the pages of the Old Testament. And although the Jews were expecting a militaristic type of Messiah who would revive the uh, the national fortunes of Israel, the time had come for his true identity to be revealed. He was the Messiah. He was the Christ. He was the King of the Jews. Although his kingdom, as he said the Pilate, was not of this world, he, the time had come that people would know exactly who he was and how perfectly his identity was revealed in that donkey. Because we know that the ancient kings of Israel rode donkeys to their coronation. Solomon rode a donkey to his coronation. David himself rode a donkey to his coronation. The king comes riding, says Zechariah, on a donkey. And that revealed his identity. So why did Jesus secure the use of this donkey and make arrangements to enter Jerusalem in this way, to fulfill prophecy, to reveal his identity? And lastly, and perhaps most significantly of all, to order history. From the outset of our Lord's ministry, we're told that the Pharisees began to conspire. Uh, against him. They wanted to put him to death. They wanted to get rid of the Messiah. They weren't worried how he would die, and they weren't worried where he would die, but they were concerned about when he would die. Matthew tells us in Matthew 26 and verse 5 that they didn't want him. They didn't want to put him to death at Passover, and so they were determined not to arrest him Or try him during Passover. Josephus, the Jewish um, Roman, uh, the Jewish um, historian, tells us that during Passover, the uh, population of Jerusalem swelled uh, by by three. It's estimated that up to three million people um, were in Jerusalem at the time. of of Passover. And there was this heightened excitement and um, messianic expectation that surrounded the Passover. But uh, And so the the, the Pharisees and the the leaders of the Jews, they didn't want to put Jesus to death in that cauldron of political uh, unrest. But Jesus' plans were different. The father, you see, had determined that he would be, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, the Passover lamb. For hundreds of years, annually, the Jews would have um, celebrated the Passover to remind them when God passed over Jewish homes, when he saw the blood on the lintels uh, on Jewish houses, and struck down the firstborn in the homes of the Egyptians. Now, Jesus as the Lamb of God was the new Passover, and God would pass over those who were sheltering under His blood and spare them and save them. When I see the blood, I will pass over, God had said in the Old Testament. And as a fulfillment of the Passover, the final Passover lamb, God decreed that He would pass over Uh, all those who sheltered in his son. But the Jews had determined not to arrest him at Passover. And so, in order to provoke the Jews into action, Jesus arranged and encouraged this public demonstration that he might die at Passover. It provoked them to uh, to, to not only betray him, to try him and put him to death. You see the anger of some of them there in verse 39. So some of the Pharisees um, in the crowd said to him, "'Teacher, rebuke your disciples.'" John tells us in John 12 that they said, "'This is getting us nowhere. The whole world has gone after him.'" The triumphal entry was the straw that broke the camel's back, forced the hand of the religious leaders of the, Jew that they might, of the Jews, that they might put him to death, at Passover. All of history leads to the feet of Jesus, says Warren Wearsby. Man proposes, God disposes. He so works and weaves things in such a way that the events uh, that unfolded were working to his timetable and not theirs. Jesus was going to be put to death at Passover, even if the religious leaders didn't want and expressly said that they didn't want this to happen the preparation that our Lord makes. Why did Jesus not only allow this to happen, but make preparations for this to happen, to fulfill prophecy, Zachariah's prophecy, to reveal his identity, that he was the, the Messiah, that he was the Christ, and to order history. The same thing I want you to notice this morning is the adoration our Lord received in verses 36 to 38. Just let's look at those verses. And as he rode along they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice, praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. It was customary for pilgrims who traveled to Jerusalem for Passover to walk the last part of the journey on foot. But here Jesus comes riding on an unbroken donkey. Do you see that in verse 30? I think that's, that's significant. Uh, you will find a colt on which no one has ever sat. See that? So this was unbroken, an unbroken donkey. And donkeys can be stubborn and difficult uh, at the best of times. But a, a wild donkey would buck and... and, 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 uh, and, and try to throw off uh, the the rider into the ground. But, but this wild donkey is steamed in a moment. And the Prince of Peace comes riding into Jerusalem on that donkey in peace. He has control over the minds uh, of animals. And as Jesus descends into Jerusalem, he is acclaimed and proclaimed as the King, as the Messiah. People take off their cloaks and they lay it Uh, in front of the procession, which is equivalent to uh, our red carpet today. The other Gospels tell us that uh, uh, the crowds took palm branches and waved them in the air and shouted, "'Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord.'" That's actually a quote from Psalm 118, which is a psalm that looks forward to the coming of the Messiah, to the coming of Christ. They are clearly identifying Jesus as the King, as the Messiah, The one that they looked for and longed for for centuries. And they realize something of the significance of that because they say, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Do you notice that peace in heaven? The coming of the Messiah brings not only peace to earth, but peace in heaven because God and man at last are reconciled through the person of Jesus. The whole scene is one of jubilation and celebration, and there's something right and proper about that. Look at verses 39 and and 40. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. You see it. That, that if, if, if Jesus wasn't greeted in this way, the very stones of Jerusalem would have cried out in praise. It was right and proper that the king of the ages as he approached Jerusalem would be greeted with such jubilation, celebration, and adoration. And if people hadn't greeted him, the stones would have broke forth in praise and worship. Jesus is worthy of all the honor he is presently receiving. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Well, what I want you to notice is that in the midst of all that celebration and jubilation, all was not well. Their enthusiasm was misplaced and their motives were not right. You get a little hint of that in the text in verse 37. The whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for, do you see that word? For all the mighty works that they had seen. The NIV says, for all the miracles they had seen. Jesus had passed through Jericho, where you remember he gave sight to Bartimaeus, we know from Matthew's gospel, to his friend as well. He had then passed through Bethany. Bethany was the place where he had raised Lazarus from the dead. And it was those miracles that prompt this adoration and this celebration. These people were miracle mongers, they were impressed by what he could do rather than who he was. Impressed by the miracle rather than the man. Now, I added to that, John tells us that they weave palm branches in the air. Now, that's very significant because the palm branch was the symbol of the Maccabean family. In the period between the Old Testament and the New Testament, The Maccabeans were uh, a family that led a rebellion against their oppressors and for a short time established independence for the people of God. They became a symbol of political hope and liberation for the Jews. And the palm branch was the symbol that they minted on their coins. And so there was this mixture of heightened political expectation and a sense of a mighty miracle worker in their midst that prompted this exuberant outburst. It was all very external and superficial. Jesus permitted it. Indeed, the stones of Jerusalem would have cried out if they failed to render it. But we need to understand that it came from Uh, feeble and fickle hearts. The proof of that, of course, is seen that within a week the people of Jerusalem, these very same people, were shouting, crucify him, crucify him. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Crucify him, crucify him within a week. How fickle, feeble, and flighty people can be when it comes to their loyalty to the Lord Jesus. Uh, Some are impressed by what they see and hear and profess loyalty to Him without that commitment that marks out the true disciple, the true follower of Jesus, the adoration our Lord receives, the exuberance of it, it, the rightness of it. It was right and proper, uh, but the weakness in it. So, the preparation our Lord makes the adoration our Lord receives. The the third and last thing I want you to notice is the condemnation that the Lord announces in verse 41 through to 44. Let's just read verses 41 and 42. "'And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, "'Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes.'" In these verses, Jesus announces terrible judgment against Jerusalem. Now, remember, this is the same journey. He's still on his way into Jerusalem. And we're told that when he saw the city, he wept. Now, that's the, not the normal word for weeping. You remember we're told that Jesus stood at the grave of Lazarus and wept. Well, that word signifies a quieter a dignified kind of grief. But this is a different word. This is a much stronger word. It, it signifies a deep and loud lamentation. So amidst all this jubilation and celebration, there is this deep, heartrending lamentation. <laughs> I want you just to picture this scene for a moment or two. Here is our Lord, and He has been healed and greeted with great passion and enthusiasm. People are shouting and singing and waving palm branches. They're singing, blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. They want to honor He who comes. There's jubilation. There's celebration. There's adoration. And suddenly they hear this wheel and this cry, this lament coming from the very person in whose name they're celebrating. And he's weeping and he's crying and he's breaking his heart. Their hearts are rejoicing and are glad. His heart is breaking and is sad. Their eyes are filled with tears of gladness. His eyes are filled with tears of sadness. We're not told But I would imagine that all the singing and all the shouting and all the palm waving suddenly stopped as they witnessed the reaction of Jesus. And an eerie silence descends upon the crowd waiting for a response, waiting for a reaction. What's your problem, they want to say. And Jesus speaks. And he speaks words of judgment, of terrible judgment that they would never have imagined for a moment. He speaks words of an unimaginable horror. Look at verses 33 and 34. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation, Jesus looks forward to A.D. seventy and prophesies in great detail that a, a Roman ruler called Titus Justice would ravage the city of Jerusalem. In A.D. sixty-eight, the Romans, under Titus Justice, led siege to the city, and they built this wooden rampart because um, Jerusalem. Uh, it was virtually impregnable. They built this wooden rampart up to gain access to the city. And the Jews destroyed it by fire. And then they built a stone one. And when they entered the city, there was a terrible, terrible bloodbath. They toppled all the walls of all the houses and even the temple and the perimeter walls of the city. Uh, as Jesus said, leaving not one stone on top of another. The only, the only wall that was left standing in Jerusalem was the western wall of the temple, which, of course, you can still visit today. Josephus, the, Jew, uh, the, Roman, the Jewish sorry, historian, says that uh, they stripped all vegetation uh, from a three mile radius of the city. And Titus Justice crucified a Jew all the way, every mile, all the way from Jerusalem to Rome. And even today, when Jews are mourning, um, are, even today, Jews are still mourning for that rampage. That's why Orthodox Jews wear black. Don't know if you ever wondered why they wear black. Didn't wear black during biblical times, but they were black because they're in mourning over the destruction of the temple uh, in AD 70. And that's why at Jewish weddings, you know, in Jewish weddings, they trample on a glass, bride and groom, and they break a glass because at the highest point of joy in Jewish life, they still remember the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem in AD 70. That's why if you go to Jerusalem to visit, and they say, this is where Jesus walked, this street, this is where Jesus sat, this is the Garden of Gethsemane, Uh, even this is the garden tomb, you need to take all that with a great pinch of salt. Because Jerusalem was raised to the ground. Not one stone was left on top of another. Even babies were dashed to the ground. And what I want you to get is this. In the lifetime of some of those who said, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, the judgment came. Now, the thought of that terrible judgment breaks the heart of Jesus. He laments, he wails, he cries out over that judgment that he announces. He takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He is not willing that anyone should perish. But he does punish stubborn and rebellious hearts. Why was that judgment such a terrible judgment? Look at verse 44, because you did not know the time of your visitation. Do you see that? Because you did not know the time of your visitation. Now, they did recognize him in terms of his coming. They shouted and sang, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. But they did not recognize the true significance, the true meaning behind his coming. Verse 42, would it would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. That you had known the things that make for peace. Oh, they sang about peace, peace in heaven and glory in the highest, but they didn't really know the way of peace. And they didn't really know the way to peace. The way of peace, the way to peace was by the blood of the cross what Paul says in Colossians 1. He makes peace by the blood of His cross. But they wanted this militaristic Savior, this national deliverer, this great miracle worker, this, this strong, authoritarian King. They didn't want a spiritual deliverer. They didn't want a spiritual Messiah who would rescue them from sin and bring them into a relationship with God. So reluctantly, heartbreakingly and grievously Jesus announces this judgment on these rebellious people and those who greeted him with acclamation were condemned by him in, judge- in judgment you see and we don't like to think of Jesus in this way but he does punish sin and rebellion he it, it breaks his heart but he will hold men and women and boys and girls for accountable for how they respond to him. I don't need to remind you that there is a judgment coming. That, um, as I said last week, will make the destruction of Jerusalem look like a teddy bear's picnic. There's a day coming when Jesus will return in power and great glory. And he'll wind up the affairs of men and he will judge the living and the dead. And I would urge you, urge you, plead with you to know the way of peace, to know what makes for peace, to know what brings you into a right relationship with God, that it's through faith in Jesus Christ. You've got to set aside this external acknowledgement uh, simply based on the things that you get from God. That Jesus is the Christ. And you've got to come to know Him personally, uh, experimentally, so that you love Him with all of your heart and you trust in Him as the only rescuer from the judgment to come. And I I think it's interesting, isn't it, that this triumphal entry that we might have regarded as the highest point In our Lord's earthly ministry that He's lamenting and He's breaking His heart over the stubborn rebellion of His people. The preparation that Jesus makes. It was He that organized this occasion to fulfill prophecy, to reveal His identity, identity, to order history. The adoration our Lord receives, the exuberance of it, the rightness of it, but there was this weakness in it. It was external. It was fickle. They were, were worshiping Him for for what they could get rather than who He was. And the condemnation our Lord announces, the grief in it. This, I, I don't want you ever to think that, that our God or the Lord Jesus Christ actually delights in judgment. It breaks His heart. He wheels, He mourns. But there is a ferociousness in His judgment. And the reason for it, they did not know the time of your
0: visitation. Amen.